All right, good morning. How is everyone? All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, man, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. Thank you for uh, being here. Uh, we want to welcome you as our guest. Love to connect with you out on the patio. Uh, how's everyone's summer been going? Pretty good? Good summer so far? All right. If you missed last Sunday, I want to encourage you to go online. And uh, it was a little bit different. It was more of like a Mission Sunday kind of a update report about our missions trip to Bogota, Colombia. We are um, going to be sending more teams to uh, Central America, South America. Uh, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to it. Um, this is a new partnership. We're going to be partnering with Steve and Pam Kern. Steve is a, a pastor and he's a missionary. He went to El Salvador and he's been there, I think, 37 years. And they are planting churches all throughout Central and South America. Mexico, um, Honduras, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Colombia, El Salvador. And so this is uh, the first of many trips. So looking forward to um, sending more teams. I want to challenge you to pray about your involvement. Um, we're going to be going back to Bogota, Colombia next July. And the cost is roughly $2,000. I uh, want to say thank you. Um, so many people in our church family gave financially so that we can get the team there. And that is such a blessing. And we're looking forward to um, being able to help and support and send more people. Um, the people there in Bogota are so open to the gospel. It is amazing how open they are. As you're doing um, street evangelism, I, I shared the gospel uh, with one young couple. They had never heard the gospel before. And I said, have you ever heard the gospel? And they said, no, after I shared it with them. And right then and there, they received Christ as their savior. It was amazing. And so we're look, looking forward to what God's gonna do in, in the future. Um, I wanna encourage you to pull out your Bibles. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter 22 today. Uh, I'm coming off vacation, so we're gonna be relaunching our Moses series next Sunday. Genesis chapter 22, this is probably one of the greatest stories, uh, I think, in the Bible. Uh, probably, um, I think it makes the top 10 list of the greatest stories in the Word of God. Probably the most famous story in Abraham's life. So if you have a Bible or a copy of uh, the outline notes, I want to encourage you to look at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. This is the text. This is where we're going to be uh, locked in on today. It says, after these things, <clears throat> God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. <clears throat> whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering <clears throat> and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship <clears throat> and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they, both, so they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and, and said, Abraham, Abraham. <clears throat> and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. <clears throat> and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now, the story begins by saying, after these things, God tested Abraham. The question that we should be asking is, what things? After these things, what things took place? Well, all the events that led up to this one single moment. The passage is not gonna make any sense unless I give you some background and historical context. If you rewind and you go back to Genesis 12, God called Abram out of the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, which is Southern Mesopotamia. Abraham grew up in a pagan family. His, his daddy was a raw pagan, worshiped pagan idols. And God called Abraham to leave everything. He called Abraham to leave his family and his friends and his homeland, everything familiar and everything comfortable. Hebrews chapter 11, verses eight to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, check this out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, that's faith. I mean, essentially, Abraham was, was giving God a, a blank check. Abraham was saying, listen, my life is like a blank check, God. You could fill it in. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. He left what was familiar and he traded it in for what was unfamiliar. He left what was known for something that was unknown. He left what was comfortable for the uncomfortable. God called Abraham to go to an unknown destination, the land of Canaan. Now at this point, Abraham is 75 years old. 
Sarah, his wife, is barren. She's 65 years old. And, and God makes some promises to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham, through you, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then if we fast forward to Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He takes him outside and, and he says, your offspring will be as numerable as the stars in the heavens. And what was Abraham's response? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham was righteous because he placed his faith in God. That's the gospel. You're not righteous because of your works or because of your performance. No, you're right with God. You're in a right standing relationship with God because of your faith in Christ. He was righteous because of his rock solid faith in Yahweh. And so God makes this unilateral covenant with Abraham, this one-sided covenant that was really dependent upon God himself. Here's what God did. Abraham fell asleep, was in a trance, and, and God slaughtered some animals, and God walked through the middle of these animals, essentially creating this covenant that was, that was binding. But Abraham didn't walk through the animal pieces, only God did. God was saying, in effect, listen, this covenant is based on me. This covenant is based on my character and my promises, and I'm gonna deliver on my word. Essentially, God is saying, may it be done to me like these animals if I don't keep my word. 11 years go by, not 11 days, 11 years go by, and there's still no child. The promise has not yet been fulfilled. Sarah is still battling infertility, barrenness. She becomes impatient, so what does she do? Yeah, this is so true in all of our lives. We become impatient. Instead of clinging to faith, we, we, we give in to fear. She gave in to fear. She was very impatient. She takes matters into her own hands. And we know the, sort, the story. Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham. So Sarah gives Abraham a girlfriend on the side. He sleeps with her. She conceives and gives birth to Ishmael. Now, after many years uh, have passed, Abraham's thinking, oh, okay, Ishmael, he might be the promised seed. Well, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, there was a law that was called the Iron Law of Promogeniture. And essentially that said the firstborn son gets all the inheritance. So the firstborn son gets all the marbles. Well, Ishmael is the firstborn son. But in this culture, you have to understand, if the inheritance was divided, the family would lose status in the community. So the amazing thing is God goes against this law time and time again. He doesn't pick the firstborn, right? Um, he goes against this law. He picks Abel, not Cain. He picks Isaac over Ishmael. He picks Jacob over Esau. God promised... Abraham. And Abraham told Sarah, we know the story, Sarah laughed, but God made a promise that, that through Sarah, they would have a son. And it would be through Isaac that, that the people of the earth would be blessed. Look at Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Okay, at this point, check this out. It's been 25 years. So, okay, like not just 11 years, but now it's been 25 years and Isaac is born. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. Now, anybody want to have a baby when you're like 100, 90, right? Anybody want to have like a baby toddler running around? I mean, they're probably thinking we've arrived, right? I mean, retirement, coasting into the golden years, right? Life's going to be easy. Oh no, life's, life's, life is going to be very hard, very difficult. But it was a blessing, right? Um, so God fulfills his word. He delivers on his promise. Now this takes us to Genesis chapter 22, verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Notice the text, God tested Abraham. Now Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis and he clues us in and he tells us that it's a test. Now Abraham, he doesn't know it's a test. We know it's a test because we have a copy of God's word in front of us. God was not finished with Abraham. You know, you know what I've learned in life? I see some people when they reach the, those, those golden years, right? Some people, they, they retire and they retire from serving God. They just retire. They just give up. They just start coasting into their latter years. But then some people, they retire and they keep serving God and they keep investing in the kingdom. Listen, it doesn't matter how old you are. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's not finished with you. God's not finished with us until we take our very last breath. Here's point number one, jot this down. Tests of faith are opportunities for growth and victory. God brings trials into our lives to grow our faith. You know, when a trial hits your life, you can follow hard after God or you can get bitter and you can resist what God is trying to do in your life. The fact of the matter is this, we are going to be tested, right? We can either allow the test to mold us and make us more like Christ, or we can resist it and stop growing in our Christian walk. You see, we, we're never gonna outgrow our need for discipline, for wisdom, for spiritual refinement from God. The goal of the Christian life is not head knowledge. The goal of the Christian life is obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we show God that we love him? Obedience. So spiritual maturity is not measured in the head, it's measured with the heart. Are we, are we obeying God? Are we, um, are we endeavoring to live our, live our lives um, worthy of the call that he's placed upon our lives? Do we make God a priority in our lives? Do we wanna pursue him and be conformed to the image of Christ? The goal of the Christian life is not just knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. It's a pursuit. It's a process. It's a refining process. You know, there's a difference between a test and a temptation. A trial uh, brings out the best in us. God uses that trial to build up our faith 
and, and, it, and it should cause us to be closer to Jesus. But a temptation brings out the worst in us. It causes us to choose sin rather than God. It, it causes us to, to doubt God's goodness and his provision and to believe that, you know, uh, life is about, you know, what I, can, what I need to get out of life. You know, God tests our faith so that we can grow. And I heard someone say years ago, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you that matters the most. When a trial hits your life, it's not what happens to you, the circumstances, the trial, you know, it's what is produced in you. It's what, what is God developing uh, within you? How is he growing your faith? James 1 verses 2 to 4. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, James, the half-brother Jesus, gives us this book. And he says, it's not, you know, um, it's not if you encounter trials, it's when you encounter trials. He says, you need to have an attitude of joy. He says, count it all joy. Now your translation might say, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy or count it all joy. That word in the Greek literally means to think, to regard. So think it all joy. The reason we don't think trials are very joyous is because we have the wrong perspective. Why should we count it all joy? Because when our faith is tested, it's gonna produce spiritual maturity. It says in verse one, that God tested Abraham. God said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God calls, we respond. When we hear the word of God, what does God want us to do? He wants us to respond, personalize, apply God's word to our lives. You know, I always say, belief affects behavior. What you believe should be changing your heart. What you believe, the word of God should be transforming your thinking and your actions and who you are as a person. Now, I want you to see the most horrific test that God commands. Look at verse two of Genesis 22. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Here's point number two, jot this down. Genuine faith is always tested. Genuine faith is always tested. If you are a believer, you're gonna be tested, right? Trials, problems, setbacks, circumstances, you're not immune to those things. We're not immune. Like those things are gonna come cascading into our lives. We're gonna be tested. You know, someone said a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. I like that. Your faith is gonna be tested. Bad things are gonna happen to you. I mean, Romans 8.28 says, right? That, that God causes, he can bring good out of bad. That all things work together for good. Not all things are good. Not everything that, that has happened to you, maybe, maybe the horrific sins committed against you, those things aren't good, but God can bring about good. See, God can bring victory and triumph out of tragedy. He can bring joy out of pain. He can bring victory out of defeat. This is what God does. He specializes in transforming the bad and bringing it and making it all good for you, for your future, and to put a spotlight on his goodness. God's always good. 
God never promises a a pain-free life, a a trauma-free life. Here's the promise that Jesus has given us. In this world, you will have tribulation. Remember what Jesus said? But I have overcome the world. So we win. Jesus wins in the end. He says, I have overcome the world. So it is only through the testing that we discover what kind of faith we really have. When, when, when a test comes flying in, into our lives, we're gonna quickly find out, does our faith, is it rooted in God or is it rooted in ourself? You know, this test, is, this, this test is similar to God's call on Abraham's life back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God said, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, with this test with his son Isaac, God is saying, he's given the same call, I want you to go. Back in Genesis 12, God said, I want you to go to the place that I will tell you later, which is the land of Canaan. Now God is telling Abraham, I want you to go to one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Chapter 12, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave safety, status, culture, family. I want you to offer yourself up in obedience to me. But now the test, God is saying, I want you to offer up Isaac, your son, as a burnt offering. God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. Moses, the author of Genesis, he's building and deepening the tension with each progressive phrase. Josephus, an early commentator, is a Jewish historian. He believes that Isaac may have been maybe 30-something years old. Some people believe that Isaac was maybe between the ages of 15 to 35. The story reveals Abraham's affection for his boy, for his son Isaac. He waited 25 years to have a son with Sarah. Can you imagine after 25 years of praying and waiting and and, and, and begging God and waiting on God, God gives you this baby boy. Can you imagine the investment that they made in his life? Can you imagine this boy that they loved with all their heart? They trained him, they encouraged him, they passed on their faith. The Bible says, he uses the phrase, only son. We know that Abraham had Ishmael with Hagar. But Ishmael is no longer in the picture. Isaac is now the bearer of the family inheritance. And God says, Abraham, I want you to go to the land of Moriah. What's amazing about the land of Moriah is if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter three, it it says that Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. The mountains around Jerusalem were named the mountains of Moriah. The house of the Lord is a reference to the temple. And what did they do at the temple? It was the sacrificial system. They sacrificed the lambs. So check this out. This is a foreshadowing of what was to come. Calvary is located in the vicinity of these mountains, the mountains of Moriah. And God says, Abraham, I I want you to offer your son Isaac as a burnt offering on, on one of these mountains of which I will tell you. And you might be like, this is crazy. This is just, this is, this is ridiculous. This is outrageous. Why would God call Abraham to do this? I mean, isn't Isaac supposed to be the seed through which all the nations shall be blessed? Isn't Isaac the son 
of the promise? Isn't Isaac the unique one born miraculously by the hand of God? Isn't Isaac the true heir through which the promises of God might be revealed? You might say this seems out of character. For God to, for, for God to call Abraham to, to murder his son. You might say, hey, Genesis 9, isn't there a, a, a word from God about murdering someone? We're all made in the image of God. I mean, when we looked at the Ten Commandments, isn't murder against the Sixth Commandment? In, in this culture, you had to understand there's a lot of pagan nations that surrounded them. Child sacrifice was practiced by pagan nations. So why does God command this action? To see if Abraham had faith? Doesn't this command appear to contradict the promise of God? God tells Abraham, you're going to have a son. Him and Sarah, they have a son. And now God says, offer your son as a burnt offering. The traditional approach to this story is this. People will say, well, the moral of the story is to obey God completely. And I think there's a principle there. I think that's, I think that's true. God calls us to surrender, to obey him completely, 100%. But see, we read it horizontally. We don't see it vertically. We only see Abraham's obedience. And yes, that's true, but I think the story is designed to show us more than just what true faith looks like. It's designed to show us more than than Abraham and Isaac's faith in God. There's more to the story than just human obedience and, and great faith in God. The story, and this is so important, the story is a foreshadowing of the work of Christ on the cross, which is the real sacrifice. How did Abraham respond? Look at verses three and four. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So what does it say? Abraham, he rose early in the morning. The amazing thing about this story I've read it so many times. It, he doesn't argue with God. Abraham doesn't get into a debate with God. He doesn't even delay. Abraham is not like, okay, God, well, now why? Now what? Now what's going on? What, you know, maybe you got the wrong person. No, he obeys God unconditionally. There's no if, ands, buts. He makes preparations, saddles the donkey, cuts the wood. He, he rallies the servants. And notice this, he takes a three days journey. Accident? Three days journey from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. That's a 50 mile trip. The text is silent about Sarah's involvement. Maybe the story is really about Abraham and his boy and Abraham's God. It's silent about Abraham's emotional state. You know, we, we, Hebrews, and we're going to look at this in a moment, sheds light on, on Abraham's great faith in God. But, I, but I'm not naive to think that Abraham was perfect. Abraham was human. He was just like you and I. He was broken. He had doubts. He had, he had frustrations. Abraham sinned at times. He was completely human. I just imagine, maybe at times, I can only imagine the thoughts racing through his mind. Maybe Abraham said, God, I've, I've been faithful to you. God, decades earlier, you called me and, and I left. 
I left my homeland. I left my family. I left my friends. God, we, we, we waited 25 years. We've been patiently waiting. Okay, yeah, we've made some blunders uh, along the way, but we've waited 25 years for the miraculous birth of our son Isaac. And, and now, God, you're telling me to take my son and to offer him up as a burnt offering? Abraham's faith was on trial. It was the ultimate test of faith to sacrifice his son whom he loved. Abraham waited patiently for the Lord. God gave him a son and then God wanted him back. Genesis chapter 22, verse five. It says, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. And then notice what he says. We will go over there and worship and come again to you. So he tells his servants, we're gonna go worship. You know, worship is not just the time slot. So we think worship is like Sunday morning, you come, you sing a few songs, you listen to the word, okay, I went to worship. No, worship is lifestyle more than lip service. Worship is not a time slot, it's a way of life. Worship is living your life for the glory of God. Worship is 24-7. That's what worship is. But, but I would say in the story, worship is surrender. It's, it's surrendering all to God. Paul tells us in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I think spiritual worship happens when we surrender our wills in submission and in obedience to God. You know, worship is giving God our very best. You think Isaac was Abraham's very best? Oh, he loved his boy. Worship is total surrender. Abraham's life was marked by surrender. He left homeland. He, remember the story? He gave up his nephew Lot. He gave up his plan about Ishmael. Now he's gonna offer his son Isaac. Exodus chapter 13 talks about the institution of uh, the Passover. And, and God tells Moses that all the firstborn of the cattle and the firstborn of man belonged to him. Literally, God was telling Moses, I own them. Abraham is giving God his very best. All that he has, all that is precious and dear to him. It's like God is saying, Abraham, your son belongs to me. I want you to give your son as a, as a gift to me. The text says, Abraham says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and, and come again to you. Hebrews 11 sheds light on this. Look at this in verse, verses 17 and 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now notice this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham offered up his son by faith. He believed that God was, was able to bring Isaac back from the dead. If Abraham had killed him, he believed that God would, 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 would give Isaac life again. Now, this is the first time someone in the Bible believed in a resurrection. Up until this point, a resurrection had never happened. This is powerful faith that Abraham has in God. Look at Genesis 22, 6 to 8. Pick up the story. It says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, I want you to play this out in your mind. 
okay? Real time, the details, absolutely everything that's taken place. And I want you to be thinking about what Isaac's thinking about. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, they went, both of them, together. And, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Abraham puts the wood on Isaac, carries the fire and the knife, They travel up the mountain, excruciating pain for Isaac to carry all the wood. What's interesting is in verse seven, this is the only recorded conversation between Abraham and Isaac in the Bible. Notice carefully the dialogue between the father and the son. Isaac says, dad, okay, dad, we got all the supplies. We got the fire, we got the wood, but where's the lamb? He knows that the lamb is is necessary for a burnt offering. And Abraham responds to Isaac's puzzling question. And he says, God will provide for himself the lamb. See, Abraham is demonstrating faith in front of the servants and he's demonstrating faith to his son. The word provide in Hebrew means to see or to see to it. Here's what Abraham is saying. He's saying, Isaac, son, you and I, we can't see it. We can't see to it, but God will see to it. He models tremendous faith in God. He models so much faith in God. You know, uh, Psalm 127 verse three says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. I think Abraham knew that his boy Isaac was, uh, was a reward. The fruit of the womb, a reward. If, if you're a parent and you have kids, I mean, the, the love that you have for, for your kids is, is something that you can't even describe. You can't even express. There's not... There's, there's no amount of words that can really fully um, get across the meaning of how deep your love is for your kids. Abraham had this profound love for his son, Isaac. Look at verse nine and 10. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and, and laid the wood in order. And notice this, bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So I want you to see this. The narrative slows down. Moses is an amazing storyteller. The plot thickens. You can feel the tension. There's this emotional pull in the story. And Moses explains every detail in the story. They arrive at the destination. Abraham builds the altar. He arranges the wood. And then it says he binds Isaac and lays him on the altar. Now, I mentioned earlier, he could have been anywhere from 15 to 25 to 35, maybe a grown teenager, grown adult. But what's amazing about the story is that he allows his father to bind him and to be placed on the altar. The story doesn't give any conversation between Isaac and, and Abraham. And, and here's why. I think Isaac is submitting to his father's will. I think Isaac trust his daddy completely. Let me paint the picture. Isaac obviously was confused as they're making their way. Where's the lamb? Abraham binds him, puts him on the altar. But I think Isaac is willingly submitting to the will of his father. Abraham takes the knife, he gets on the altar and he's getting ready to plunge the knife maybe into the heart of his son. And then notice 
how the story changes immediately. God intervenes. Look at verses 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the, on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The angel mentions his name twice. Repetition in the Bible really implies urgency. Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. God calls, Abraham responds. The angel says, for, for now I know that you fear God. Remember, this was a test. Look at verses 13 and 14. Notice how God intervenes and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Here's point number three, jot this down. Point number three, passing through trials allows us to see how gracious, loving, and faithful God is towards us. You see, when we pass through trials, when we encounter trials, we encounter who God is. We encounter his character. We see his attributes more clearly. We, we, we come to realize that God is gracious, that he is loving, that he's faithful. If God's been faithful in the past, he's gonna be faithful in the future. God provides a ram to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. The end of verse 13 says, instead of his son. According to the story, God is never late. He's always right on time. You know, when the storm rages, God's either gonna calm the storm or he's gonna carry you through the storm. There's a theological word for this phrase instead of his son, and it's called substitution. This was a substitutionary atonement, which means the ram was sacrificed as a substitute in place of Isaac. Isaac is a type of Christ. He's a foreshadowing of who Christ would be and the work of Christ on the cross. You know, the, the gospel in a nutshell, based on 1 Corinthians 15 is the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. That is the good news. Jesus died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Because Jesus claimed to be God and he beat death, he can forgive you of your sins. He can give you eternal life. He can, he can wash away all your sins. He can give you a new beginning, a new heart. He, he can make you a, a new creation. Jesus, when he willingly gave his life on the cross for us, it was a substitutionary atonement. He was our substitute. He took us off the cross and he willingly gave his life for us on the cross. He accomplished what we could not do. He bore our sin. He bore the wrath of God. He bore reproach, shame. He bore all of our sin, all of our guilt. He bore all of our past, all of the condemnation. He was condemned. He was rejected so that we might be accepted by God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. So for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that 
in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So how can we be forgiven? How can we be righteous before God? In Jesus. You are only righteous because of Jesus. You are in Christ. Your union with Christ determines your standing with God. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are worthy. You are accepted. You are loved by the creator of the universe. That, my friend, is a powerful verse. God made Christ to be sent on our behalf. He took upon our sin so that we might be forgiven. The great exchange took place. We gave Jesus our sin. He gives us his righteousness. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Literally, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. You know, Abraham led his son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah and bound his son and put him on the altar and was getting ready to plunge a knife into the heart of his son. We know centuries later, that Jesus would carry his own cross and he would make his way to Calvary, Golgotha. And there at Calvary, he would offer himself as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. When I see the story of Abraham and Isaac, I think of Jesus and I think of his relationship with his heavenly father. I see similarities between Isaac and Jesus. Both were born in accordance with promises given many years in advance. Jesus' birth was predicted in the Old Testament. God made a promise to Abraham that you would have a son. 25 years later, God fulfilled that word. Both were born at an appointed time. God predetermined when both of them would be born. Both experienced a miraculous birth. Sarah was, was barren, God opened her womb. Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. Both were loved by their fathers. Notice the phrase, your son, only son whom you love. That's what God said to Abraham. At Jesus' baptism, when his cousin John the Baptist was baptizing him, the Bible says that the, the heavens opened and, and God spoke. And he spoke these words over his son. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. They were both loved by their fathers. Both went on a three days journey. Abraham and Isaac went from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. Jesus went from Golgotha to the burial, to the resurrection on Sunday morning. Both carried their own wood Isaac carried the wood up Mount Moriah. Jesus carried his own cross beam. And here's the last thing. Both willingly submitted to their father's will. Isaac submitted to his father Abraham. Jesus tells us, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. You know, when you come to the Bible... Sometimes people say, what is the Bible all about? From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible points us to Jesus. This story points us to Christ. 
it points us to the ultimate sacrifice, the death of Christ on a cross for our sins. And that is the only way we can be made right with God is because Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says that we are separated from God. I mean, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's spiritual death. We know we're gonna physically die. We're all gonna physically die. But if you die in your sin, because of your sin, you deserve spiritual death, eternal separation from God. But the amazing news is the end of verse 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It never gets old saying that. The free gift of God. How can you have this free gift? How can your sins be forgiven? How can you know this, this Jesus, this, this one who died for you? You have to receive him as a gift. It's your choice. You receive him. You receive him as the greatest gift of all. He's the, he's the most treasured possession. And when you receive him, he gives you new life. He makes you into a new person. Your old is gone. The old life, the old sin is gone. And you're made brand new with new affections and a new way of feeling and thinking. And, and you have this new love for him this new desire and this new love for other people. The Bible points us to Jesus. Have you given your life to Christ? That's the question this morning. Do you know this Jesus who carried his own cross beam and was crucified for you on Calvary's hill? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in him? Let's pray. Maybe this morning, as you're in an attitude of prayer, maybe you have never Receive Christ to be your savior. I want to challenge you to make that commitment today. For you to receive Christ by faith into your life. For you to ask Christ to be your savior. For Christ to forgive you of your sins. I want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about a prayer. A, a prayer doesn't save you. It's the sincerity and the, the genuineness of your heart. If today you realize that you're a sinner and you believe that Jesus is God's son and that he rose again from the grave and you believe that, that Christ died for your sins and you're willing to turn from your sins and place your faith in him, you can have eternal life. God can save you today, save you from your past save you from your sins, give you new life. And so why don't you ask God right now, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken and I need you. I need your mercy. I need your love. I need your grace. Today, I admit that I, I have sinned against you. Today, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, who died for me who was buried and who came back to life for me. Today, I commit my life to follow you. Today, I choose you. I ask you to be my savior, to be the, the Lord of my life, the one who calls the shots in my life. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. God, I pray that you would do that work in someone's life this morning. 
God, we thank you for your grace and your love for us. God, I pray that we would, as we are, as we encounter trials in our lives, Lord, I pray that it would, we would see it as a good thing, not a bad thing, that it, it creates growth and, and, and opportunities for victory, for us to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, at the end of the day, we wanna be more like you in our lives. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. As we go through trials, we're gonna see your hand of, uh, your, your faithful hand and your good hand upon our lives. Help us, Lord, to realize that you are in control. No matter what comes our way, uh, you are in control. And so, Lord, we're gonna face the future, not with fear, but with faith. And so today, God, we trust you. We love you, God. And Lord, we just pray that you would work in our lives this morning and grow our faith, help us to be more like you, And we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.